0: Welcome to Creative Engineering. Today, I have a special guest with me. You may know him from StegoFlow or one of his very popular Flutter packages. I'm, of course, talking about Remy. Remy, thanks for being on the show. How are you? Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. What about you? I'm doing pretty good, too. So today is going to be all about state management and your newest package called RiverPod. To start things off, why did you call it RiverPod?
1: Um, yeah, so it's a provider, but with the letters mixed up. And there's also a second meaning, um, where, you know, in, in doc, we have streams. And so I I realized that by mixing the letters, we could have river in the name. So it's like in the same team. So yeah, there's that.
0: I like it very much. It's a pretty, pretty fun name. <laughs> So before Riverpod, you created a Provider. Um, provider is used in pretty much all flower projects, where it's directly or indirectly via, for example, a flower block. What was the reason for you to start working on this new Riverpod?
1: Um, it started uh, usually. Uh, it started with Slacko Flow. Like at some point, I answered a lot of questions on Slacko Flow, and realized that the same question was popping up all the time about inherited widgets and or people misusing inherited widgets usually uh, like they created some state directly inside the build method but then when something changed their state was uh, lost because they didn't uh, use a stateful widget or whatever um so what i did was um it, first i answered the questions but uh, you can pre uh, fix the problem before uh, people uh, face the issue. Um, so I searched for a different way of solving this problem before it happens. Um, so uh, that's how provider came up. Um, at that time, it has some some a provider named uh, stateful provider. So it created. Like, it's kind of the. It's similar to the syntax with um, the current state of provider where you have this create function that creates an object only the first time it's created so the idea was behind it was that people only use this uh, syntax this way their state is not lost when something changed uh and then you know as times uh, as um time passed uh more use case were added and um yeah that's basically how it started Interesting. So you touched upon this, and
0: it's a very interesting dis- distinction. And what do you think about this? What is RiverPod slash provider really? Is it dependency injection? Is it state management? Is it architecture? Because I feel like um, those three <clears throat> topics kind of bleed into each other. And provider and RiverPod um, can be used for multiple things or for the same thing. What is your opinion on this?
1: Um, I mean, I know that many people uh, consider provider as not state management. Uh, but I quite disagree with that statement, in the sense that even if we are talking about just injecting variables, that's state management itself. Right? State management is a very, very broad topic. And I would go as far as to say that widgets in Flore are state management. And when you think about it, they do nothing else but managing states, They're not painting anything or are not uh, under underlinks un- clicks. They're just managing the state of the UI. Um, so yeah, in my opinion, um, provider is a state management. It's just a specific, a very specific portion of state management where uh, it's initializing the objects and passing them around. Um, and then we have Riverpod, which does um, which has a slightly broader scope where it's also like it's doing a lot of stuff for combining objects and Um, like caching results when you're combining things, um, filtering reveals. Um, It also has uh, some more opinionated um, things like state state provider, which uh, is a very simple provider to create variables. So it it definitely has a broader scope. And I would think think that more people would consider about an actual state management uh, solution. Interesting.
0: The reason I was asking because a lot of um, use cases are a common thing when using, for example, the for block package was to use the block package as state management and block internally uses provider to provide it to its descendant. So the idea with Riverpod is to have um, the idea of dependency injection and state management more tightly uh I wouldn't say coupled, but uh, having a package which is uh, more focused on this. Um, my question in there would be, I've used RiverPod myself for um, my recent project, and there is a provider which is explicitly used for the state. Um, I think it was a state provider for yeah. your state. How, how's the package called? I steptiftif here. Yes, the state notifier. So in this case, if I understand correctly, the state notifier would be the core state management thingy. And a provider would be, uh, not provider, RiverPod would be a way to combine that state, to provide that state, and to manage that state. How would you? Um, um,
1: Yes and no. Um, Like Yes, uh, the state notifier would be uh, your core class to like add your typical uh, increment method in a counter for example uh, so that's a way where you can center all your business logic inside uh, but providers also um are a place where you can put business logic inside like uh, you can start http requests or things like this inside providers like typically with future provider for example you can do a non a complete um imagination system with just using filter provider with no state modifier or whatever so you can get really far with uh, with this Um, so I would argue that providers also are are, um, state management it's not just specific to one class I see so it can be used I
0: guess it's like a lot of topics in computer science and programming. The answer is it depends. Um, yeah. It can be used for certain state management uh, things. For some, it might be easier because it is um, doesn't require the overhead.
1: Uh, but for say, some, I would yeah. say is that um, the only reason currently we, uh, why we currently need this statementifier class is because we don't have um, anonymous classes in Dart. If we did mm. have these anonymous classes. Uh, and maybe silk a dark classes and silk classes in dark uh, we probably could remove static if you're completely and just use providers um, wouldn't it
0: be possible to have these kind of anonymous classes with the with functions with anonymous functions because you can actually yeah. declare functions inside yeah. functions and have we the can, scope life.
1: We can definitely do that, but then it looks very scary, and few people Mm. would use it. Uh, Like, Riverpod already looks quite scary to to some people. So I think that if we want to go a step further, uh, it would be too far for some people. Like, I know, for example, that people complained about having too many providers. And while I disagree with uh, Riverpod being complex, I think it's just because it it has a broad scope, so um, so, uh, people kind of think that it's complex just because there are uh, uh, many APIs. Um, But, yeah, um, it's very difficult to have something that people uh, would not fear. Like, I I, I, I think that functional programming, for example, is something very simple if you try it, Uh, like, especially, like, for example, with Elm or other... Mm -hmm. simplified version of functional programming. Like, the tooling helps you so much that you can almost disable your brain and still do things very <laughs> rapidly. Because the compiler uh, tells you every mistake you made, so you just have to almost uh, do right click and fix, and it does the same for you. Um, but people kind of have this mentality where, oh, no, it's functional programming, so it must be super difficult. I
0: feel like functional programming um does all these things for you. And in some way, which might also be a good thing, it makes um, doing hacky things, like something that has to be done quickly, which just works, it is but it works, it makes it more difficult because yeah. you cannot just mutate something, which in turn might be useful if you just want to try out a little thing, you want to build a prototype, you just want to get it out quickly without caring too much about architecture. I think um, functional programming makes things like this hard, but yeah. on the other hand, it makes it easy at some point to scale, to debug, and to do all of this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with this statement, which is why I think that um, the ideal scenario uh, when building applications is neither uh, using pure ob- object-oriented programming or pure functional programming, but using kind of like an hybrid architecture instead. Uh, especially, mm-hmm. I think Dart is a good candidate or maybe Kotlin, whatever. So it's, 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 We have this trend recently with uh, language that to both and where we can get both the benefits of immutability and mutability when you want to and flerb uses this quite a lot actually like where with widgets we have this uh immutability, immutability um layer but then if you go inter um, if you go one layer deeper with render objects for example they use mutability quite a lot to have this um very performant API where instead of recreating everything every time, you just mutate what needs to change. So uh, you use both sides of the both benefits. Like you have this immutability side for maintainability and this mutability side for performances. And I think it's a good compromise. And um, that's kind of the thing that I that's a mentality that I try to add in Riverpod. I think it tries to do the same thing where you could technically, for example, Makes um, mutability and immutability if you want to you could um have uh, this uh, declarative programming where mm-hmm. uh things just like you know uh top down and kind of working by itself like you you, you write it and it will it execute when when it needs to re-execute by itself just because uh you know kind of like with widget you don't really listen to anything specifically it's just Working by itself, just by writing the stream builders or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So at this, uh, at, uh, on one side you have this uh, aspect of declarative and kind of immutability too, um, and on the other side you can go with um, I don't know, change notifier or state notifier, and go um, with a very fine grain control over your state. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really like the idea of being able to adapt these different paradigms, uh,
0: like the function programming and the object-oriented programming in each other to have like the best of both worlds. Like yeah. have, as you said, render objects being these object-oriented state machines which heavily rely on method calls to do stuff. And on top of this, we just have this functional layer um, yeah. which harvests all the power of the object-oriented layer Load, it, but adds on top of it. That's a very powerful, powerful idea, yeah. Um, coming back to the actual RiverPod, we briefly talked about this before. You said people felt intimidated by having all those different providers. Um, I can somewhat understand it. I've been reading through the docs, and like, OK, state provider does this, and the normal provider. So what are the different providers there are in RiverPod? What do they do, and why do they exist?
1: Um, there are a few of uh, them. That are, uh, we likely will have more in the future so I'm not sure that uh, list is really helpful but um, the short story is we have um, provider uh, just provider not state provider or whatever just provider uh, which is used to create um, an object that never changed by itself so it's just like you know a repository or an HTTP client if you want to, um, or maybe a computed value if you want to, because you could technically listen to other providers when creating a provider. Um, so you could make like, um, a filtered list of to-dos. So you take, you have your provider that listens to the to-do list and, and, and listen to the filter and combine both variables to have the filter to the list. Um, which will then rebuild only when either of the dependency change. So you get these benefits of not filtering your to-do list directly inside the build method, which is a lot more efficient. Um, So that's for provider. Uh, Then state provider is typically for very, very simple states uh, that don't really have business logics associated with them. So like filters from the UI. It's just an enum and you're just changing the enum directly or switches if you want to. Um, then by putting this logic inside uh, providers, uh, it allows you to combine uh, this state with other things. So like I mentioned previously with the to-do list example, if you have your um, filter implemented in a state provider, you can then combine it with the state of your to-do list to this um, very powerful filter mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, then you will have uh, your typical business logic providers, so stamp notifier provider, change notifier provider, Uh, maybe if you're using a third-party packages, I'm pretty sure uh, maybe in the future we'll have block providers, we don't know, um, which have this fine-grained control over a piece of state where it has methods, it has, maybe it receives events, um, and it allows you to mutate the state using uh, uses methods and events um, a change over time and then you have um, dumped down versions of uh, this business logic um, objects with a stream provider and future provider which are like um simplified version of a stage a change over time but for very specific use case so here's just listening to the result of a future or a stream and so whenever something changes the stream it will Update the value. So you don't have to manually subscribe to the stream and then emit the new value. You could do it with a state antifer right, or change antifer right, or whatever. But it's just kind of like this bore applies that you don't really care about. So making a stream provider makes things easier, especially with Firebase, for example.
0: Mm, so basically, correct me if I'm wrong, provider is the base class that can be used to achieve all of this. For example, if you want to have a stream which you listen to, you could just provide the stream with provider and then manually listen to it and do all your stuff and stream provider adds this abstraction on top of it which says okay yeah. uh, we don't provide you with stream of items because obviously what you want to do is you want to listen to those we provide you with every single item and we will provide it every time the stream that internally emits so all of the providers like stream provider future provider state notifier provider could be implemented with more code, with
1: just using provider. Yeah, um, just using provider itself may not be the correct choice. I think um, the correct choice would instead be maybe set notifier provider or change notifier provider, uh, because these are uh, the most powerful providers. Uh, provider is uh, doesn't really have a built-in way of emitting updates, so you won't be able to implement stream provider from provider, for example. But with State Notifier Provider or Change Notifier Provider, you could do basically everything.
0: So one thing um, that I faced when using Provider, for example, I had a um, State Notifier Provider, and I wanted to obviously listen to the state. So because mm-hmm. I was using Flutter Hooks and a build method, I said, okay, use State Notifier Provider. Mm-hmm. So I got the current state. Now mm-hmm. I also wanted to access the actual State Notifier to... Call methods on, like update something, delete something. So this time I couldn't just use the state notifier provider because it provided me with the state and not the actual object. So what I ended up doing is just calling, I think it was something like provider off and then calling the method manually. Um, would there be a way to say, OK, I want the state notifier. I want all the new states, but I also want X to the objects to reduce boilerplate code? Um,
1: when you're using statement provider in Ripod, um you have a way to specify what you want to obtain. So when you combine it with, I don't know, use provider or the watch method in Ruffpod, uh, you mm-hmm. can either do like watch my provider or you can do watch my provider So mm-hmm. if you do the former, you will obtain the statement your instance without listening to the state. So you can then call. Uh, increment decrement whatever and if you do the uh, later you will be you will obtain this state directly but not this statement for instance
0: so just talking about all the different providers and the idea behind this it feels like it isn't too difficult like at the end it just boils down to When do you want to be updated, for example, with a stream provider every time um, a stream item is submitted? Or do you just want to have the raw state notifier as an object without listening to the states? So you were talking about adding more examples. Maybe it would be interesting to have a little tutorial doc showing how to do something which you could be doing with a stream provider without a stream provider, just using as little amount of providers as possible and then saying, OK, we did this. Uh, This is quite a bit of boilerplate code. You could use this to make it easier.
1: Yeah, one of the things I'm considering is um, architecturing my tutorial such that we start without the provider. And at the end of the tutorial, we have this refactoring step to show how we can reduce the boilerplate to reach the same thing. So like it's, we could interesting. maybe st- yeah we could maybe start with I don't know a st- uh, change notifier that does the data fetching and that can call notify listeners when uh, the re- the query is finished and then at the end refactor to future provider to remove almost all the code. Yeah, I feel the thing that is most valuable
0: with this approach is if you get a solution for a problem that you never had before, you accept the solution, but you may run into the problems that it the solution Try to solve to begin with. If you never faced a problem before, you cannot really understand why it is there. So if you say, okay, we have this problem, how could we solve this? Solve it first so the user understands, okay, this is how I would do this, this is something I understand. And then reason, okay, we did this, and this is my solution for this exact problem. I think that is very valuable and that would be very nice for docs.
1: in the dark doc of Pod, the documentation associated to each um, element of the API. Um, if you go on the dark doc of uh, any provider, each provider explains what's the use case of the provider. So like if you go on the documentation of future provider, it will, it will tell you that it's usually used for fetching a request, um, fetching a, a, a something for an API or yeah, pagination, whatever. Even if you go on the documentation of family, it explains why what's the concept of family, why you would need to, to use this kind of thing. Uh, I think one of the issues is that the current website um, doesn't show the providers, uh, doesn't highlight the documentation associated to each provider in differently. Um, so people don't necessarily find it. And I think that would be one of the downsides of uh Dark doc. It's like kind of hidden in the corner, and I'm pretty sure that few people use Dart doc. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Coming back to the river pod and how it works um I had somebody on Twitter ask, where does RiverPod actually store state?" So RiverPod works by gl- uh, defining global providers. Um, at first glance, it looks like the state might be in some kind of singleton, some kind of global variable. Um, because you are defining the provider as global state. Um, how does all of this work? Where does the state live? Why is the state where it is?
1: There is actually no global state in RiverPod, which is kind of the most imp- impressive thing, in my opinion, with the architecture, where even if your providers are global, the state is not global. It's instead stored inside this provider scope widgets that we added inside our widget tree previously. And if we want to go more specifically into how it works, um, Provider scope. What it does is that it creates an instance of the object called a Provider Container, which doesn't depend on Dart and uh, which doesn't depend on Flutter. Sorry, uh, which is a pure Dart object that contains um, states uh, for providers, and it it exposes it to the widget tree using uh, plain inherited widgets. And which, what this means is that, for example, if you were to do testing, um, you would typically create this provider container object yourself inside a test. And this provider container object contains method like read. So you can do container.readmyprovider to obtain the state of a provider. And so the basic idea behind this is that uh, you know one of the basic criteria for testing is that two tests should not share state. Because that would be a bad idea, like if you change the order of the test. You could have a different behavior, so that's a very. Uh, so then your test will not be uh, reliable, and so uh, using this architecture, you could create uh, your provider container uh, individually for each state, such that um, two tests would not share state at all, uh, which would not be the case with singletons or global states.
0: By the way, I really love the approach of having this provider container that doesn't depend on FUR. Um, in my current project, I'm actually just started writing a CLI version of the project. Mm-hmm. And I was able to reuse all the dependency injection wiring, which I had uh, set up before for the repository, for the HTTP client, yeah. and just reuse that in plain Dart because all the dependencies were wired up using the provider container. I didn't yeah. have to do some manual constructor injection, so that's a big plus. Another thing I really like, and I don't feel you emphasize enough, is because um, because you have these global providers, you get complete type safe access to the thing. Yeah. So, and all the IDE integration. Before with provider, you had to add this generic type. The compiler couldn't make sure that the um, that the actual type is in the widget tree, that you have access to it, that it is yeah. there the new provider all you do is i th- i think of the name okay of a repository i just start typing repository and it autofills to repository provider yeah which makes it just so much more productive
1: yeah and also make sure that you cannot try to read something that doesn't exist or like with provider, so many people faced uh, provider not found exception because they use mm-hmm. the wrong build context. But with RiverPod, you almost cannot have this issue. Um, you, you can still face this issue if you're using uh, like scoped provider, which is a very, very specific feature in RiverPod, which you probably don't care about. Um, if, you, if you want to, uh, the, the short story is that it's a sort of re-implementation of the full uh, Features of inherited widgets with Riverpod, so you can scope them to a widget tree. Um, but then, yeah, otherwise, uh, outside of scope providers, you can do basic, uh, you, you, you don't have these exceptions anymore. And it also solves these problems about, um, like, for example, um, I don't really remember what I wanted to say, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's okay. It may come back in the future. <laughs> that's, that's
0: perfectly fine. Yes, yeah, so actually, you just talked about the um, scope provider. Yeah. And there was a thing I was wondering about. I haven't tried using the scope provider yet, but most of the state typically lives at the top of the tree. Yeah. Because in Flutter, you have the routes and if you want some state to be available on every page on every dialog you have to put it on top of material app i had an issue open on github that i would like to have some way to share some sort of state between multiple pages but right now with the current implementation that is not really possible so but sometimes a uh, riverpod and providers also just used to provide a value to the sub widget tree for example you have a one page that doesn't navigate, that doesn't move around. It's just one page, but it has a lot of sub-widgets. And each of those sub-widgets has a lot of widgets. And you you would like to have a value there without having to pass it down the widget tree to every single constructor. Mm-hmm. The scope provider, as I assume, allows us to add this dependency, which uses the new RiverPod API to inject the dependency. Is that right?
1: Um, yes, it is right. but. You probably don't need to use scope Provider to do that. You could technically have your typical provider, but just use it inside your specific page, and maybe even uh, place the provider directly next to the uh, implementation of your page and make it and make it private. You could technically do that. Especially considering now no, right. you have now you have the variables for your provider, so you can make them private if you want to, which is very powerful if you if you think about it. Um, the use case of scope provider would more be about making team, for example, so that you can override the team on a specific uh, part of the application, uh, or maybe um, translations, or I don't know, a very specific use case. Another common use case with scope provider is um, lists. So if you want to pass the ID of an, an item, instead of passing it to the constructor of the widget, you could expose the ID using scope provider. And then the items will obtain their ID using the RiverPod API rather than their constructor. Mm. The, the main benefit of that is that then your provider uh, no then your widget doesn't receive any parameter at all, which means you can make it constant. So you can, you can make it constant so that if you update wherever inside your list, your widget will not rebuild unless what it used reveals. So, if you have, like, say, a list of uh, 100 items and then you add a new item, that means that the item count changed. Uh, but if your item count changed, um, typically what a list view would do would be uh, re execute item builder uh, for everything, that is, uh, everything uh, that is present in the list until um, reaching the end of the screen. Mm-hmm. So that would uh, rebuild a lot of things for no real reasons because uh, nothing changed for them. But if you use scope provider to pass the ID, you can make your widget const- your items constant, and then they won't rebuild uh, unnecessarily because since they are constant, uh, Flutter is clever enough to not rebuild them. So you can do Interesting. this. You can do this performance optimizations. But that's a very advanced use case, I would say. Like if you're just getting started, you don't really have to care about that. And, go back to it in the future. It's super interesting. I hadn't thought about this uh,
0: potential issue and a potential solution about this. That's very interesting. Um, Coming back to the um, scope and the um, scoped provider discussion we had before, for example, you have some sort of variable Um, which you only want to have uh, be accessible on this one screen, so you could make it private. How would you deal with, for example, initialization and teardown? For example, you have some heavy object, you have a connection to database or some sort of heavy calculation that you don't want to maintain after the screen is, for example, destroyed, something else is pushed. How would you deal with this if it is not actually scoped to the screen?
1: Um, One of the very powerful addition um, of the inherited widget mechanism uh, that is implemented in RiverPod is um, the auto-dispose flag on providers. Um, Basically, what it does is that it's a slightly different implementation of uh, when the widget is removed, uh, we dispose the resources. Instead, what it does is that when a provider is no longer used, it it disposes the resources which means that technically if you remove the page that will automatically dispose the resources too but that that's slightly different in the sense that it's not scoped to the page Uh, so if you for example you have two screens that you're using the same data then if you close one screen but the other screen is still open that won't dispose the data immediately because it's still in use and then Mm -hmm. as soon as you remove the other screen uh, that will automatically dispose uh, everything uh, correctly
0: that is super interesting. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty, pretty solid approach.
1: Yeah, um, and an interesting aspect of that is that we can also combine providers. So we can also have this very big graph of uh, different states. And so um, uh, when you're using auto-dispose, um, the autodispose flag, um, it will automatically force you to have all the uh, children in the graph of providers to also use the auto dispose flag because you know if if a descendant is not using the auto dispose flag, but a parent is using it, that would kind of be weird because it would be mm-hmm. always kept alive. So um, so then you have this graph of auto dispose objects, and that suddenly makes provider uh, no riverpod uh, very clever, like in the sense that uh, all your graph of providers will still be in use Um even if you're using only uh, the leaf of your graph. And as soon as you stop using the leaf of the graph, everything will kind of destroy itself naturally without having to care about it. Mm-hmm.
0: That sounds pretty pretty clever. Yeah, so touching upon this, we, we talked about this before, like the um, scoping Um, not the the scoping where you declare providers. One thing I also really like is, for example, I have a repository and if if I want to provide this repository to the rest of the app, I don't have to go into, for example, my main file create a new provider in my multi-provider and provide it in there but I can just do it above the actual class. So if I, for example say, okay, my repository now also needs a dependency on the network client, I don't have to move to do different files to do this I can do it all in one place and I really like the approach of having code that is modified together be together for example if I modify the provider and one of its dependencies in the class I also want to modify the actual provider which provides this class Mm -hmm. so that's
1: I really like this yeah we can even go one step further and like now that providers are variables we can even extract them into packages so if you're splitting your application into multiple packages, you can, for example, extract all the logic for the home page inside a separate package to share it with different things. And you can extract mm. the provider, too, so that um, you just have to insert the provider scope widget at the root of your application. And it doesn't matter whether the home page is using providers or not, um, it will just work out of the box. You don't have to worry about inserting something inside your main application and mm-hmm. another also benefit is also in testing like I one of the downsides with provider is that you have to uh, when you want to do testing you have to reinserp all the providers if you want to set a, to, to to test a very specific widget so that is, so that's ca- quite a lot of border to add all the providers needed by your widget tree whereas with uh, riverbar you can just add this provider scope widget and then mm-hmm. You don't really have to care about reinstating all the different providers that you need to use and you can just override only the providers that you want to mark the behavior yeah Yeah, you don't have to re-implement all the wiring which you are doing
0: already yeah because the wiring is done implicitly
1: yeah which which is very important because you likely want to test this wiring too so if, if you have to copy paste it that's not a good approach that is, um, I
0: think, always a good indication that uh, the code might have a few bad smells if you ha- have to copy-paste stuff to get it to work. <laughs> so um, I like this approach you know. Yes, I do too. So um, I asked on Twitter uh, what people would like to um, hear in this podcast, and the majority was examples. A lot oh. of people said, of course, Basic counter-application can be easily done in pretty much any state management tool, whether it be stateful widgets or block, counter-example is a good way to start, but there is always uh, a need for more. So uh, in this segment, I'd like to uh, walk through a few simple example scenarios, simple in a way to simple to understand, but from an architectural standpoint, maybe not too simple. Um, And I would like to hear your thoughts and how you do this um, on those. So let's start off with something actually very simple. just a bit more complex in the counter-application, the classical to-do um, list application. But with the little twist, that we also want to have items filtered, which yeah. I know we talked about
1: is yeah. a very good example of provider. Yeah. It's actually how already we- implemented on the RiverBud documentation. There is an open source uh, implementation of it. It's just not associated with a tutorial that explains step-by-step step how to do it. But if you mm-hmm. go to to-dos.reverbod.dev, you will see a to-do application with filter and everything in implemented in Reverbod. Um, yes.
0: Yeah. Do we still want to go over concepts, or would you we, we, rather fo- to do that? OK, yes. so we have a simple application to-do mm-hmm. list. We want to be able to add a to-do item, remove a to-do item, and update a to-do item. Every to-do item is just the text and whether it's done or not done. How would be the? It doesn't have to go into the detail because obviously listening to code is <laughs> a bit harder to read it. But how would you architect this, and uh, what kind of providers and why would you use?
1: Yeah, um, I think there are two different Two there are two big steps. Uh, there is the filter, which is uh, one thing on its own, and then the um, just managing the list uh, of to do. So first, for managing the list. That's a typical use case for um, a state notifier uh, or a change notifier, depending on whether you want to use mutability or not. Um, so you make a custom uh, state notifier class, which exposes, uh, you know, add to do, remove to do, edit to do methods, and that just exposes a list of um, to dos. Then you plug it into a state notifier provider or a change notifier provider. Uh, which then expose uh, which then uh, allows your UI to listen to the list of to dos and do something on click or whatever to update this list of to dos um, so that's for the list of to dos uh, without filter and then for the filter um, using the report it's actually very easy to do uh, to filter uh, states um, so the only thing you need to add is uh, create a separate um, State for the filter um, for your enum, for example. So you can use state provider, like we mentioned previously, which just stores the current state of the filter, so likely none by default. Um, then you plug it to your UI such that it changes when you change the filter state. And finally, you can combine your um, filter and your um, do uh, your state here to do uh, to do list using uh, provider, and then inside your provider, what you do is you use this ref object pass to the provider, uh, and, and call ref.watch dot uh, to do list and ref.watch dot um, watch filter uh, provider, and then you just do um, list dot uh, where, and then uh, filter accordingly, and this will auto- automatically. Um, Oh, yeah, I forgot. Once you've created this provider, what you do is, inside your UI, instead of listening to the entire list, you now listen to this new provider that you just created. And so with just this little change, uh, now your UI will automatically filter things accordingly. And it will filter the list only when either you added a to-do or you um, change the filter state.
0: So the idea behind this is we could actually implement the filtering inside the state notifier. We could have a method called set filter level or set something like this and then do the actual filtering in there too but the behind the idea behind this is the separation of concerns like you have your
1: state notifier provider as uh, your state notifier that's not really that st- uh, that's not really a uh, separation of concerns here it's more about making it declarative such that uh, we have a single source of truth for uh, the list of to-dos like this this mm-hmm. business object um, manage the list of to-dos uh, directly and we don't really want to mess around the um official um, source of to-dos. We don't really want to uh, uh, change the public API about it to avoid like having to, I, I, th- I think I saw many questions on Stack Flow where they did these mistakes where they updated the list of to-dos that they had when they changed the filter, but then once when they, when they go back to none, they realize, yeah. oh no, I, I lost my to-dos <laughs> where they are, so. <laughs> um, yes. So it's like by separating things uh, and using uh, rev.watch instead of having all this logic inside um, state notifier, you could technically do that and have a big state notifier object that expose many different things like the filtered list and the raw list and whatever. You could do that. Um, but the issue is it's slightly more complex because you will have to deal with listeners. You will have to um, make sure that you're caching the value when when you need to. Like listening to both the filter and and the change on the uh, to the list could be quite complex, whereas yeah. um, by using um, the, by splitting it into um, multiple providers and using rev.watch watch, it's very linear. You don't really have to bother about uh, what happens when the state of the filter change, what happens when the list uh, change. It's just done for you automatically uh, and yeah. without having to care about it.
0: I think the uh, thing or the um, the idea that I would better encapsulate this is the single rep- responsibility pattern in this yeah. case because you would have this one component that, its only its only responsibility is to manage a list of to-dos, to update yeah. and do a lot of stuff. It doesn't really have to do the filtering because it's, it just has a single responsibility. And then you add something else, which has also a single responsibility. It gets a yeah. list of items and just filters it. The interesting part about this is it is very um, pluggable. Like, if you want to change it, if you want to remove the filtering, you don't have to go into your class and yeah. remove lines of code and do your stuff. All you have to do, you just don't listen to the filtered. The filter provider anymore, but instead the normal to-do list yeah. provider.
1: And another benefit is that it's also more performant in the sense that, uh, especially if you're using immutable data, right? If you're using immutable data, you may if you want to have a single big uh, statentifier object, uh, your model will likely be quite complex. Like you will need to have a zero. Um, unfiltered list of to-dos. And then you will have to have this uh, filtered list of to-dos. But then when you want to do any edit, you will have to always clone the object. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that means that uh, the larger your model is, um, the bigger the clone operation is. Whereas if you're separating it into multiple providers, uh, you have less things to clone when you're uh, updating the list. So it's technically slightly faster to
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. OK, so I think that was a pretty good breakdown of the um, first example of just a simple list of to-dos with also the added uh, feature of being able to filter. Um, let's move on to something a bit more complex. And um, The ideas or the app would be you have a list of items, just like in the to-do list, but in this case, those items are not as trivial and simple as to-do items. In this case, we can have one class which manages a list of to-do items because they're so simple. It's just immutable data which can be copied and changed. Mm -hmm. Let's have a case where each item is super complex. Each item managing its own vast and big um, state may do additional network calls in there to lazy load even more data, or just have a very complex interaction. I think putting that all in one class might be too much. How would you do this?
1: Um, I don't really understand what you're explaining here.
0: So for example, think we have a list of not to do's, but of games. We have um, like 10 games. Each can be visible at the same time. Obviously, a game is very complex. You don't want to have all the game states of all the games in one class, because every item is complex. How would you do this?
1: OK. Yeah, so it's not just a list of uh, dumb objects. It's a list of objects that may may update independently that has different rules too. So it's not just the same kind of object, Um, OK. um so i think um different approach is uh, to um have a separate provider for like when you have um this kind of use case you may want to instead of storing the list of games just store the list of ids of games and then um so you can update just uh, the ids add new ids remove ids and then the listening of. Um, the object this is done separately. Um, so uh, the idea, you, you may want to use something like family. Um, so you might want to create a um, separate uh, game uh, provider that is a, a change provider or a technology provider. And use the uh, dot family constructor to mm-hmm. um, create your game instance based on the um Based on the ID, i um, I'm not sure.
0: I think I mean, that's a. Do you,
1: do you want to add new games at at runtime? Possibly. Like, imagine it. Not just being
0: games. It there are apps with just complex interactions within these items. Like, not all apps just have this dumb data. Sometimes it's just just complex. So. Think of this game as being anything that is complex. So yeah, adding, removing, updating um, would be would be something that one wants.
1: Um, I mean, uh, the the reason I'm um, thinking about it is that with games uh, they have completely different implementation. So it's a bit like depending on the game type, you may use a completely different controller. So okay, that's, so that's a very specific for, use case. For example, it's always the same game, like
0: it's Tetris or something, but obviously with a different state, like okay, every so it's
1: different instances of the same game. Yeah, that's okay. that's an example. Yeah, so in that case, the, uh, what I was explaining previously uh, totally makes sense, where uh, you mm-hmm. have your list of IDs on one side, and on the other side you have um, your statement if your provider or change of your provider dot family. And then um, it receives the uh, game ID uh, because families are just providers that receive an extra parameter uh, to do some extra fancy stuff. So here, it's just the ID. You don't really care about the ID inside the game instance. It's just uh, the ID associated to the to the game. And so your state notifier provider will create the game instance, so the, the, the Tetris instance. And then your UI will be able to um like, when you want to add a new game, what you will do, you will just uh, push a new ID to the list. Um, and then that will automatically update the UI that listens to all the IDs. So you're, you may have a list view somewhere, which will update because you added a new ID. And then when you want to read the game associated to the ID, you will um, read the game provider that you created, which is a family. So you will have to do like watch game provider and then uh, pass parameters to this game provider so you pass the id that you received previously from the list view and so by doing that um uh, that will uh the first time you try to read this id is that we'll create the tetris instance automatically for you and that will also subscribe to the tetris instance such that when it changes, uh, as changes are propagated propagated and I also think
0: that this makes a lot of sense because the object which manages the list doesn't have to load all the items and wait until yeah. like five instances of Tetris are loaded. It just says, okay, we have five items. We can distinguish between those items. And the actual loading, which may include a loading indicator or some sort of network fetching, can be done externally in these Tetris providers. Yeah. So this can be so again, single responsibility. We have one yeah. A list that is being managed, and we have one individual game that is being managed, which could also live on its own. Yeah. So um, to make things uh, even further complicated, because that's the thing I like, (laughs) is um, okay. We have like three Tetris games, and now we want to implement some weird impossible game that accesses the state of another Tetris instance. Think you're playing Tetris on three tiles, and you want one Tetris to see, OK, if the other Tetris just spawned a cube, I want to spawn a, a something else. How would you do something like this?
1: Can you still add Tetris at run times? Of course. Um, so how does the interaction between Tetris instance works? Like, what? how, did, how does it determine which Tetris instance does it want to use? I
0: mean an example would be would be at, at the initialization stage you would be select another tetris instance maybe via ID. so or example you always want to use the instance which is on top of it in the list i'm okay. um, just some heuristic
1: yeah. i'm asking yeah. mainly because um there is a very important part in state management which i think is not used in us which is uh uni-directional data flow um and uh, providers uh, kind of enforce you to use run data flow to make sure that your application uh, doesn't lead to spaghetti code on the wrong run. Um, so you need to think about how your object interacts. So in the case of uh, you're only reading the previous Tetran's instance, it's fine because it's just a linear list. So that's unidirectional, really so you don't have any issue. So yeah, in this, uh, in this case, you can just, inside your um, game provider, uh, which is still a family, um, you, you receive the ID associated as parameter, uh, if you remember correctly. So since you have the ID as parameter, you could technically uh, listen to the ID minus one to obtain the previous instance. So mm-hmm. you could like. Using the ref object, you could do ref.watch uh, game provider, uh, and then pass your ID minus one. And then you will be able to listen to the previous instance. Interesting, I really like the fact that it's so easy to access all
0: of this uh, without having to worry about, OK, can I access this? Because am I above or below the other provider? Like things you would be having with the provider package where you yeah. have to
1: think about this. You, you will still have an exception if you try to do Something that is not a uni-directional data flow. So if you have, mm-hmm. if, so if you're trying to read uh, the previous tetris and then the previous tetris is trying to read the next tetris, you will have an exception telling you that it's not possible because yeah, because it's a cycle and it would be
0: infinitely updating, right?
1: Yeah, and then especially uh, that's also why we can do some powerful things like the auto dispose flag because since it's a uni-directional data flow. Uh, you don't have this uh, cyclic dependency, so you know when you can dispose resources. Whereas if you had a cyclic dependency, you wouldn't be able to know. Oh, okay, it's not used anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, uh, RiverBot will not let you do very weird stuff. You have to be careful, <laughs> and that's it's always also, good. That that's one of the biggest reasons I'm working on dev on a dev tool for RiverBot at the moment, where I, uh, where um, I'm extending the flower dev tool. And um, so you have a, a new tab for RiverPod, which shows uh, like your typical uh, state management uh, dev tool, where it shows um, the um, exp- expanded view of an object. But it also has an extra tab where you see the graph of states. So um, mm-hmm. you would see, oh, this provider depends on this other provider. And then you have uh, this, this tree. Um, of states and see what what happened when you update this provider which other provider depends on that and you also will likely see the widgets too at the same time so mm-hmm. you could like i really like the, yeah, I like the idea yeah i like that <laughs> I, I feel like
0: i feel like all the state management solutions could use a bit more love from the dev tooling uh direction because you have all this state management things but it's still kind of awkward to inspect the state uh, especially during runtime and if like even if you are in debug mode you first have to set a breakpoint you then have to manually go Mm -hmm. through the variables and the references just having a way to have more information be visible with less effort i think that could be um very helpful
1: and i think um I'll, uh, I'll give a shout out to the Google team. Like, um, I've tried the, I've already started working on the DevTool, and I've tried it, um, tried what's existing in the DevTool, and they actually have the possibility to inspect uh, objects, Dart objects at runtime. So you are able to list all the, all the properties and everything you want to implement a DevTool, which means that I was able to. Um, list everything we want to do and um, um, in a typical DevTool. So list all your properties and list and pot- potentially update them. We can also um, update the state of uh, your um, state at, uh, from the DevTool. So you can click on something, toggle booleans, update strings. Uh, so yeah, the DevTool is very, very, very powerful. And I think uh, it's quite underrated at this point. Uh, and maybe in the future, more people will contribute to the DevTool once they realize that they can do all this fancy stuff that typical applications in Dart would not be able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is
0: indeed super interesting. I didn't know you were able to do so much even during the runtime, but that's yeah. definitely something um, I'm super excited for. So, um,
1: yeah, that's what if- I'm sure. Randy.
0: <laughs> if if anybody wants to know more, just follow Remy. Um, I'm pretty sure once things are ready you'll be able to you you'll know. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, on, on the dev tool, um, I would say that I at this current stage I'm able to obtain all the different informations needed to show the dev tool, like the graph and update the things. And the only remaining thing is uh, making the UI pretty because it's currently not very pretty. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I
0: mean, if you think about making stuff pretty, um, then I'm pretty sure you're at a stage where our stuff is working. So if it's just making it pretty, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to accomplish that. Yeah. (laughs) So um, I think we are slowly getting to the end. Do you have anything to add to say
1: Yeah, I would say if you have any feedback about about whatever it is, even if it's like, oh no, Rapport is super bad, uh, it's fine. Um, please tell me. Uh, I would love to get as much feedback as possible. I, the only thing I've seen is people saying uh, maybe thank you or something like this. So it's great to hear, but um, I love to hear also about what problems people are facing so that maybe I can document it or Maybe I have some new features to develop. So if nobody is complaining, it's difficult to do uh, my job, you know. (laughs) I can't really improve the thing further if nobody is complaining because I don't know what to improve.
0: (laughs) Maybe it's just so good that there is nothing to improve. Who knows?
1: It's very unlikely. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that there are many things uh, I need to improve. First of all, sometimes when I try, when I randomly try stuff, I find bugs, so I'm wondering is it that people don't report bugs or is it that they didn't find it? And I always have this question <laughs> at the back of my mind. Do people actually use the stuff I make? <laughs> I never know.
0: I definitely do. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, Thank you too. For all the listeners, we'll have all the links. We'll have his Twitter handle and the ways you can follow him in the show notes. Thanks again for being part of the show and thank you for a us. good thank one <laughs>